Everybody feeling good? Yes? God is good. I've got some of my crew is actually not some of my crew. All of my crew is at home sick, fighting a little bit of this and a little bit of that today. So love your prayers for them. It's good to see you guys. Today's a big day. Today's a big day because we're wrapping up um, a series that we've been in for several months now. And if this is your first time at Fathom, I just want to welcome you and hope that you just find yourself at home and rested in a place that you can call home and grow in your faith, grow in family, and really just get a sense of the calling, the purpose that God's put on your life. And that we're doing, doing something um, for Christ here in, in this city. Um, as great or as small as God allows it to be, we're, we're just stoked to have you and really glad that you're here. We've been on this kind of long journey. I feel like it's been a long journey, but it's also kind of flies by. You know how the year just kind of flies by. So we're here like almost at the end of March, and since January 3rd, 12th, we started a series diving deeper into our mission to go make disciples. That's our mission here is Matthew 28, 19, 20, just to go make disciples, to go, to, to, to leave kind of whatever's comfortable for us in order to, to go make disciples, because that's the, that's the Jesus mission that he gave us and that we're in with him. And so that's what we've been kind of embarking on for the past several months. And today we're going to kind of not wrap that journey up, but I, I pray that we're going deeper into that journey. We're going to be launched out into that journey. So, uh, and we're going to be looking at Peter today. And, and Peter is, is uh, the disciple that Jesus looked at and said, you're a rock and, and I'm going to build my church on you. In fact, Peter's name actually means rock. Like, anybody know the meaning of their name? Yes, some of you know the meaning of their name. His literally means Rock. When I was in Cambodia earlier this year, uh, got to experience Angkor Wat, which is like the temple that is a city, the city that is a temple. And so you, you might not uh, know this about Angkor Wat, but um, you know, a thousand years ago, when it was when Paris only had about forty thousand people in it, Angkor Wat had millions of people that lived in this city that was a temple, the temple that was a city, and it's filled. If you've ever seen a picture of it, I wish I had one up here this morning. But it's just rocks and stones just stacked on top of each other. This great, big, huge like city. And it's all these rocks. And if you look around on the floor and you look anywhere on the, the entire structure, you'll see holes in all these large stones. Like they're probably like this big and this deep, each one of them. And, and we heard the story of how they, they got them there. And they used 40,000 elephants. Just get a picture of 40,000 elephants tracking from a mountain that is hundreds of miles away, and they would go up on, on this mountain with 40,000, like an army of elephants, and, and they would uh, attach poles through these, um, through these stones, and then they would rest them on the elephant, and they would carry them for hundreds of miles to get to Angkor Wat, and it's just incredible what you see there, and just this great, huge city that they literally built on the backs of elephants. And as we begin to, uh, today, as we begin to look at the life of Peter and really Jesus' relationship with him and his, his calling, I think is a big deal of what we're going to be focusing on today. We, we see that, that God wanted to build something on him. And, and it's something that we are now a part of because of what Jesus looked at Peter and said, on you, I'm going to build my church. I think we'll find a lot of similarities with Peter this morning. And I pray that we're challenging our faith to go deeper and stronger to the people that God's called us to be. And so basically what I want us to look at today is how can, how can God make us a rock that he can build his church on? What's got to happen in our life 
what kind of growth, what kind of strengthening needs to happen for God to be able to grow his church on. Because that's something we're all a part of, and it, and it takes a real kingdom perspective about our lives. And so we're going to, to dive into that today. And to start with, I want to go to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to start with verse 22 to verse 33. We're going to take about 11 verses here. And, and because I've got like three different texts I want to go to, we may kind of like run through these pretty quick. Um, or I may kind of paraphrase. We'll, we'll, we'll see how time goes here. Um, but we'll start with uh, Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And uh, what we're going to see here is, is actually something that was really appropriate to the last song we just sang uh, about stepping on the waters because we're going to find a time when Peter is actually asked to step on waters and he kind of asked for it himself, which is kind of an interesting thing. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus had just fed 5,000 people, and it, it's very like us to want to kind of sit in, in whatever miracle um, Jesus has done, whatever great things just happened. We want to sit in it, but Jesus is always moving his disciples right along. Whatever you get really excited about, he doesn't want you to kind of stay in that because he's got something else he wants you to do. He's got something else he wants to lead you into. So after he dismissed the crowd, uh, and he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. I think there's this real sense of Jesus wanting to gather himself uh, constantly with his relationship with the Father. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. You guys have heard this one before. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Can you just imagine all these grown men, grown fishermen? Like anybody ever show, uh, watch that show, like ice fishing or, or what's it called, or crabbing or something? They do, yeah, yeah, the deadliest catch. That's what it is. Thank you. I obviously don't watch it, but I mean these guys. It's like usually like burly guys that are out there. Can you imagine these guys screaming? It's a ghost. You know, it's just kind of a funny picture to kind of grab a hold of. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Verse twenty-seven. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, like, grow up, be a man. <laughs> take courage, it's I, don't be afraid. And this is where it gets interesting. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out on the water. Like, I would have probably said something else, I don't know about you. I probably would have said, God, if it's you, just say, it's me. <laughs> or, Lord, if it's you, just wave a flashlight or something, like make a, a lightning bolt happen way over there, or, you know, a, a, let, us, let me see a shooting star, you know. But he says, tell me to walk on the water too, kind of a bold step of faith even before he, he makes the step. So I think we see the faith here, and, and as we're going to look into this text, I think it'd be very easy to question Peter's faith and, and his whole journey, but I think he's got enough faith to even say, Tell me to walk out there to you. Like, I have enough faith that you're walking on water, then I can walk on the water too. So verse 29, come, he said. And then Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water, and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and, he be- and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. 
Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So we see Jesus actually looking at his faith, as much as I say that, you know, I, I think there's some other things that are at play here, his attention on other things. Because I, th- I think many of us can find ourselves in very similar situations in which we're being challenged in our faith, even if we've asked for that. You know, that's the funny thing. Many times we're like, God, Help me to grow deeper. And then when something begins to happen that, that you have to go deeper, we're like, why are you taking me on this road? We're like, well, most of the time, you know, we've asked for that in some ways. And, and, and so when those begin to happen, it, it was funny. I mean, we were really in a place when we were in Georgia, and I was just wanting to grow spiritually. And then God began to kind of reveal this is the time for this calling. And it was like, oh, I didn't really mean like this, God. I was really meaning like this. That was a little more comfortable. And it's funny how we get like that. And Jesus looks right at his doubt. And he looks right at his faith. And I think that's what we're going to see over the course of time. There's a lot to what's going on here. And, and you know what's funny is I used to have this kind of idea. And it was more of an excuse in which I, I, I would say, um, you know, God, if you really want this to happen, then you'll like allow it to happen. But God would always bring me back to, yeah, but I want to use you to do that. I want, to use, I want to use you. And so I, often I use it as a, a, pretty much an excuse. So if God wants this to happen, then he'll just make it happen. But sometimes God's really calling me to, to step out in faith in that situation and, and walk in it. And I think that's a part of our culture. It is, I think we, we want God to do all, all of the work for us. But really, I mean, one of our favorite verses, Christendom, like in America, our favorite verse is, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, or who strengthens me, right? Isn't that like everybody's like Tim Tebow favorite verse, right? You know, we want to all put it on our eye black and go into work, you know, like Timmy. And we all have this kind of, uh, this kind of mentality, but what's the first word in that sentence? I can do. Like, God is using us in the midst of those things, and it's, but it's him that's strengthening us. And I think having that clear perspective about how that works, that we, in fact, do have to live out some of those things. When he calls us to faith, when we want those things, we're ready to take those steps. But I think where the, the real issue begins to happen is focus. I, I think where it really began, he began to doubt is when he got his eyes off of Jesus. He began to focus on what? The wind and the waves. And, and so uh, if we're kind of looking at how to be a rock and how to grow in this, I would say we've got to fight complacency with just focus on Jesus. Not, not focus on, on working harder. I mean, I don't think that it was a matter of, oh, he's got to work harder in this. I think it's just got to be focus on Jesus. That was who, who our, that's who our faith is in. That's who his faith was in. When he began to focus on other things, I think he kind of, kind of lost the big picture and for us, in this room, I think we've got to really fight complacency. When we want to step out on the waters, we've got to fight that kind of whole scenario with focusing on Jesus and that relationship that happens there. And kind of in the culture we live in today, we want everything to happen instantly. There may be kind of dreams and callings and things that you want to be playing out, but they're not happening in your time. Because we live in a very much a, a microwave culture. But greatness doesn't happen in a microwave. I mean, if you go to a fine dining restaurant, 
you expect your food not to be cooked in a microwave, right? Like you'd be upset to learn that your vegetables were just popped in the bag in the microwave. Wouldn't you be upset about that? I, I, anybody ever seen that show Kitchen Nightmares with Gordon Ramsay? Okay, I've seen that show a couple of times. And he, he kind of goes off in like ballistic form in people's kitchen. But he goes in these fine dining restaurants and they're doing everything by a microwave. We would be upset to learn that if we were in a fine dining situation and learn that everything was made in a microwave. And so we don't want that with our food, and, but we think that it'll work in our lives. We think that we'll just be able to pop into church, and then like the next day, like we'll, we'll you know, be a, a whole new creation. That, that this is all, I mean, not that we aren't through Jesus, so not fighting that, but we, we just think that, you know, physically things are, we're just going to like pop out, and like we're going to be like this great kind of evangelist to all the world, and God can totally do that, but I think we've got to fight that because we can kind of look back like, oh God, why aren't you doing this for me? Why aren't you doing this? Well, he can do all things through we can do all things through him who gives us the strength. He can do it. It's a matter of him doing it through us. And so we've got to really be willing to step out in faith, but most importantly, keep our eyes on Jesus. That's how we fight complacency. If you just feel yourself just kind of getting in the flow of things, just focus your attention back on Jesus. Don't get caught. Like, what, what are the wind, what's the waves in your life right now? How much of your attention is that getting? Chances are it's getting a lot of it. It's getting a lot of it. And, and so if we didn't just draw back to, to Jesus in the midst of that, we'll be strengthened and we'll become a rock. I think the next text, if we were looking into Peter's life, and Peter's a really interesting guy. His journey started just like Andrew, his brother. I don't know if you remember back a few weeks, we looked at Andrew. His journey started, he was a fisherman. He was a fisherman that Jesus said, come follow me. And, and he began to do that. Peter's interesting. He's the only disciple that, was, uh, that we know of recorded in Scripture that was married. Uh, most theologians say there was probably some other ones that were married as well, but Peter's the only one through Scripture that says that he was married, which is really kind of an, an interesting thing. Um, you know, and and he was also in Jesus' inner circle. Peter, James, and John were part of Jesus' inner circle and like his closest kind of leaders that he trusted to kind of you know, build the church on, have this intimate relationship with. So the, the next scripture I want to go to is a really, really intimate time in which it's kind of starting to get towards the end where Jesus will be crucified. And some of you have heard the, the time where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. We see some really deep stuff here. And I think we see some real things that Jesus Things that we see here in this first text are going to kind of begin to build on each other through Peter's life. So let's go to the second text, and we're going to look at John chapter 13. John chapter 13. And as we look at this, this is, again, they're sitting at the the Last Supper, the last Passover that Jesus would eat with them. And Jesus is wanting to wash their feet. There's some deep symbolism here that Jesus is trying to, to kind of bring to their attention. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, he took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, I want you to remember that he, he took the garment off. I want you to remember that. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. This was a servant's role. And, and only a servant would take off his, his outer garment, really. They wouldn't reveal that. They, they would keep like more of a you know, priestly garment on. But Jesus, being the type of leader that he is, chooses to serve. We see that throughout Jesus' life. It's just a constant leadership is service. Leadership is service. 
So he, he, pours, he begins to wash their feet, just like the ultimate sign of humility, and, and drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? I think there's something really good that's happening here, but there's also something not so good. Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet, Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. I, I think there's something really positive to what Peter is saying. It's like, Jesus, no, I want to I serve you. You're not going to serve me, but Jesus is saying something even deeper and he's saying, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. He's, saying, he's talking about our, our spiritual washing that's taking place in our life. He, he's speaking of something really deep. And, and I think there's also kind of an, an element of, of pride that can, can kind of roll in here. I think that's, I mean, most people that know about Peter and know anything about him, he, he had uh, you know, somewhat of, a, of a, not a cockiness, but he was bold. He was a bold guy. And so he, it's nothing for him to, to you know, speak up to Jesus like this, where some of the other disciples, you don't see those type of things. But I think there's an element of pride here where he will not allow Jesus to wash him. And Jesus is like, unless, unless I do it, you'll have no part with me. And Jesus was speaking to kind of all the disciples in the midst of this. There were some, some tough things that were going on, like with the relationship with Judas. He'll, he'll expound on that later, which we won't get into. But um, but look at Peter's response here. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, um, but my hands and my head as well. I think there's this real sense of, of desperation for Jesus with Peter, that he wanted it all. He wanted it all. And for some of us in our lives, like we are, we're, just, we're just satisfied with just a little bit of Jesus in, in just a portion of life. But when we get to this place where we want it all, like when we really get a, a sense of, God, I want all of you. And I think that's where Peter's at is like, he's fighting this pride of like, no, 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 you can't serve me. Because when we say, no, you can't serve me, we're saying, no, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, um, I'm not worthy to be served. Or, or like when we confess, like it, it's you know, basically saying that we're guilty. I mean, if you confess, you're, you're guilty. So saying that, that we needed to be washed is saying that we're dirty. Does that make sense? So that, that's basically what's happened. To say that, you know, if you wash my feet, that means I'm, I'm dirty. You know, so he didn't want to confess that. And so breaking through that, uh, you know, Peter wants it all. He wants everything with this relationship with Jesus. And so his response to that, I really think is his heart, not the first thing. But constantly we have that pride in our life. And, and I think we have to fight that to really be the rock that God's called us to be. And honestly, you know, fight it with just desperation for Jesus. Like, God, I want it all. John 3.30 says that he must increase and we must decrease. And I think we've got to get this idea that if we want more of him, there's got to be less of us. If, if we want more of Jesus, that means there's got to be left of, less of us. Like, what does that look like in our life? For all of us, it looks really different. We're all in different places and coming from different places. But what does that look like for, for there to be less of us and, and more of Jesus? I, just a, as a parent, um, I, getting married and, and becoming a parent really helps you to become more like Jesus or to not become more like Jesus. You have kind of a choice. Like it's either going like to ruin me and, but, or I'm going to become a lot like Jesus. Um, in marriage because 
you're asked to give up everything that you are to become one. And with a parent, you're, you're, you're asked to make a lot of sacrifices. And so it's kind of this constant stretching of your faith and your patience and your body's abilities to carry on. And there's, there's this real picture for us today to fight that pride and realize that we need to be washed. In order to grow stronger, we've got to fight that pride. But just with desperation for Jesus, uh, a month or, or so ago, we looked at the text of the woman with the issue of blood. And uh, I love that text. And, and she's just fighting through the crowd. And there's this real sense of desperation. She's been bleeding for 12 years. And, and I just remember thinking to myself, man, I want to, I want to, I want to stay desperate. Like, what would it look like for me, though I'm not, I don't have an issue of blood, I haven't been bleeding for 12 years, but what would it look like for me to be so desperate that when my life is falling apart, when I'm sinking, my eyes are still on Jesus, and, and, and I don't have to, like, become desperate, but I've just stayed desperate for Jesus. And I get this real sense that that's Peter's heart, though Jesus is looking at some prideful things, saying, no, 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 you can't wash me. I think there is an element to that, but I, th- I think more so he wants it all. He's going to go through some ups and downs, some real ups and downs. I mean, he's the one that, that cuts off somebody's ear in the garden. He, he's one of the guys that when Jesus went to pray in the garden, he's one of the guys that falls asleep on Jesus. Jesus, in, in fact, in this kind of span of time, he, he kind of says, look, Peter, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. I mean, that's like hardcore. I mean, to a guy that he's looked at and said, I'm going to build my church on you, and you're going to deny me. <laughs> it's like, wait, wait a second, Jesus. So he's looking at him, and then certainly Peter does deny him three times. It just happens. I mean, it's just incredible, this kind of drastic failure. But again, last week we looked at, at Judas and his response to his failure, and this time we'll look at Peter, Jesus' response to Peter. And then Peter's response to Jesus after his failure. And I think it'll kind of begin to make sense of, of the character of Peter, this guy that was growing in his walk with Jesus, that had a, a little bit of arrogance, had, had some focus issues where he, he just, he wanted, he wanted it, but sometimes I think maybe he got complacent and got focused on other things, other things that were going on in his life. And I think we're going to see that even down to, uh, to after Jesus is resurrected. And so that's the text I want to go to today. Uh, I believe it's John chapter 21 that we're going to. Verses 1 through, it's a little bit of a longer text. But, and I kind of debated whether reading all, all through this. But I'd like to go ahead and read through it because I think it's really powerful. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples. This is the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples. Appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. So all the disciples are together, and look what Peter says here. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Okay, so and Jesus you know, has kind of commissioned them He's, he's appeared to them after his resurrection. You know, you're, you're the rock I'm going to build this, uh, you build my church on, Peter. He's got these disciples. And so Jesus appeared to them already. And, and then what's happening now? There, there's one of two things. Either they're just doing their normal fishing thing, 
which is very possible. They're just out fishing, got to eat, got to fish. Or they're kind of forsaking their calling. They're turning their back on what Jesus, they were really about. And and I'm not going to pick a side of which way it is because I don't really know. There's nothing really in text that says this is what it was. But I think there are some things we can learn from, from either way of it. Um, but look, Peter begins to, to do it, and then everybody follows him. He has this sense of leadership over the disciples, and so they begin to follow him. So early in the morning, they're out there, and they don't catch a thing all night long. That's a rough night fishing. You ever have those days at work where you didn't feel like you got anything done? Okay, yes, yes. You have those weeks that go by, you're like, I don't feel like I'm getting anything done. Okay, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, <laughs> Haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I mean, what would it look like for us to allow Jesus to direct our hands? Allow him to direct our work, like actual work. I'm not talking about like Anything other than your actual work life, maybe it's your family life, if, you're, if you work within the home, it's your family. What would it look like to allow Jesus to direct our steps? We would become so much more effective. And it's not a matter of right side or left side, it's a matter of Jesus directing our steps. What if we, every time we went out onto the water, every time we made our, God, just direct my steps. God, I, I, I want to I catch fish. I, I what if we just believed that our greatest success would be when we trusted Jesus with all that we have? That our greatest success would be when we consult Jesus with every situation. Instead of going to every other source and then finally at the end of the day we, we go to him. And I don't, I don't, again, I don't know if they're just out making normal rounds and that's fine if they are you know, doing fish. Or I don't know if they've actually just kind of forsaken like their calling and what God's called them to here. And now they're returning back to their old life and how they made ends meet is fishing and everybody's following him. But Jesus is going to say a lot here and Peter's response is big too. He said, throw it on the right side and they couldn't even haul it all in. Verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him. So remember, Jesus was taking his off I don't quite know why he was putting his on, but again, it could be a sign of pride. For, and for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. Go to verse 8. Let's read that, and then I want to comment on that a little bit. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish. They couldn't even get it in. For they were not far from shore, about 100 yards. So why did Peter jump in the water? Like, that's a question for me as I look at this. Why did Peter jump into the water? Like, was he embarrassed? Like, seeing Jesus again, like, oh, Jesus, you caught me? You caught me going back to fishing. Like, I think that's one sense of what it could be. Jesus, you caught me turning my back on you again. Or was it this sense of desperation of, I'm not waiting on this boat. I want to come to you. You're right again. You, you directed my steps, and, and now we're going to be able to eat and go out and do ministry. Whichever way it is, I think it's powerful in very deep ways. 
whether it's getting caught in it, and that may resonate with some of us, or some of us just that place of desperation of God, I want to come to you because I know if you, you're directing my steps, I think there's so much to speak to each one of us in our work life, in our home life, uh, in your calling, in your purpose, like not to turn your back on those things because it doesn't happen in a microwave. And we, we've got to get this idea that we have to be served in order to know how to serve. We have to be washed in order to, to realize how, just how, how dirty we are. It's a recognition of that. And I think that's what we see in Peter's life. So we can, can wrap this verse or continue through this verse, not wrap it. It's got several more verses to go. When they landed, they saw fire of uh, burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. I love this idea of Jesus cooking breakfast for us. Like, wouldn't that be sweet to, like, wake up one morning? Or, like, get done with work and you're really tired and, like, man, Jesus cooked me breakfast this morning. That was amazing. It's just like a kind of a, a funny picture. We don't think of Jesus being a chef even at a campsite. But here, it's, again, he's always serving before the resurrection, after the resurrection. He's serving. And he's constantly setting this example and there's going to be an interesting dialogue that's going to play here. And I think this is really where the rubber hits the road on all of this. Verse 13, Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them. And he did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. And when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. Someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. First thing he said to Peter was follow me. Last thing, follow me. There's, there's something really deep that's going on here. and there, There's multiple words in the Greek language for love. One is agape and one is phileo, and these are the only two that are used in this text. Agape love is just unconditionally like loving. It's what we would understand as God's love for us, agape love. The other is phileo, and it's more of a friendship kind of love that one would share. And Jesus asked him, do you agape me more than these. What is he talking about? Is he talking about the fish? Is he talking about fishing? Is he talking about the disciples? I don't know. Let's just say he's talking about all of them because he's really deep and he's Jesus. Let's just say he's talking about all of them. He's talking about the fish, your friends. He's talking about all of that stuff. He's saying, do you agape me? Do you unconditionally love me like I love you? And Peter's response to him is phileo. 
yes, God, I, I love you. I love you with friendship, kind of love. And, and I don't know if Peter just didn't catch what he was saying here, but Jesus asked him again, do you agape me more than these? And Peter's response again is with the word phileo. Yeah, God, you know I love you in a friendship kind of way. And, and at this point, Peter's getting ticked off when Jesus asks him a third time, and he says, yeah, but do you even love me? And at that point, Jesus uses phileo. He says, but do you even love me like that? He asks three times, same amount of times that he denied Jesus. I think there was, this, there was something in Jesus that he wanted Peter to look his failures right in the face, to look his shortcomings right in the face, and have this moment of breaking down the pride, anything that was left in that so that he could build his church and become the rock that God's called him to be. Any kind of complacency and doubt, he would drive it into. And, and so there's a sense of intimacy. But do you, more than a friend, do you love me? Do you agape love me? How deep is that love? Is it just like the first storm that comes by, you're going to get scared and kind of run off? The first you know, whatever that happens in our life, or is it just going to be built on a friendship, or is it going to be something that lasts, that I can build my church on? He asked him three times, he wants him to look the failure right in, in the face. And he begins this, every time it says, then feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. Like, why, why would that make sense? Why would that make sense? There's something deep about our intimacy with God and, and how we begin to serve and do the will of God. There's something, there's a deep relationship there as the more we, we love Him, if we really love them, it'll be played out in our life. It, it will have to come out. And, and, and that's what Jesus is saying, then, then do what I called you to do. Go take care of my kids. Go take care of my sheep. Go feed them. Go preach. Go love on people. And he uses the word feed. And I think it was practical. I think it was spiritual. I think it was all of the above. If you love me, then you'll do this. Then you'll do this. Then you'll do this. There was something, this relationship, if you agape love me, there would be something coming out of that. And then he begins to comment on his younger life, when you were young, when you were old, you'll stretch out your arms. Because that's how Peter would die of crucifixion. Jesus was forecasting that, saying that you'll be led to places that you don't want to go. Are you going to deny me then when you're crucified? And what's, I love, anybody love like a good happy ending? I don't know that a crucifixion is a happy ending. But faithfulness is a happy ending. Obedience is a happy ending. To the very end, we see probably 33, 34 years after Jesus was crucified, Peter, just like his brother Andrew, would be crucified. And just like his brother Andrew, Andrew didn't want to be crucified like Jesus, so he said, crucify me in an X. And so Peter said, I don't want to be crucified like Jesus. And this was under Nero's persecution. He said, so crucify me upside down. He preached the gospel and he built the church in Rome and all around and led the disciples and fought against legalism and fought against Pharisees and was faithful. 
just see so much faithfulness in his life from this point forward and just fulfilling his calling. He didn't back away from it because he had failed so many times, but I think his view of God, this, these moments in which Jesus washed his feet and then he says, I want it all. And this moment where Jesus, again, directs his steps and calls him back into his calling and feeds him breakfast, serves him again. And he, before that, he jumps into the water. There's this real sense of desperation and hunger to have all of it. To not be complacent in his walk, but to just be driven to real, true, agape love. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I just, I'm a dreamer and I have just this vision of what like the church can look like if we would just be driven out of this intimacy and this love and, and service would just pour out of that and feed my lambs. Like I just, I just have a, a dream and a vision to see this lived out in this community and fathom in this street in Jacksonville, like where there's just where it's wrapped in humility, it's filled with humility and service. And we go out and we take care of his lambs and we feed his sheep, and that it's real. There's this real sense of desperation for Jesus. And maybe we just need to, this morning, just need to have a moment where we realize I'm not going to know how to serve unless Jesus really serves me. I'm not going to have this real picture of his love unless I look my failures in the face, every single one of them, and say, I want it all. Then wash my hands and wash my head too, Jesus. I want to ask you to stand with me today. I want to ask you just to take a moment. Just let God speak to you. God, we're thankful. We're thankful that you've served us. We're thankful that you've made a way for us to be clean. God, I pray that you would crush the complacency. God, you would crush the pride. You would fill us. When we're empty, God, we have no purpose, you'd fill our hearts. God, give us a real sense of intimacy with you today. God, not just at the phileo level, the friendship level, but God, at the, at the agape level, help us to love as you've loved us. Help that to play out into our actions, into our homes, into our workplace, God. Into the streets. God, help us to embrace the calling and not to run from it. Help us to embrace, God, the, the call that you put in our life, the purpose you've laid within us. God, I pray in these next few moments across this room, God, we would allow you to reveal in us, God, the need to be washed. God, and our response would be the same as Peter's. God, then wash my hands, wash my head too. God, our, our response would be the same as Peter's where we dive into the water to come after you. 
God, and I pray that you would just continually, continually draw us into deeper love and deeper service for you. In Christ's name, amen.